Ephesians 3 and verse 20. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, 20. And now unto him who is able, <laughs> look at here it is, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. Isn't that fantastic verse? Do you love that verse? This I want to speak on how big is your God? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. No matter what you have thought about asking God, no matter what you've thought that God could do, He is able to do super abundantly, exceedingly, magnificently, way above all of that. And so the problem is not with God. The problem is in our asking and believing. The Bible says all things are possible to him that believes. In other words, the power of God is released through human beings connecting with God and activating our faith. We can have as little of God or as much of God as we set our heart to have. And it tells us here that God is able. God has supernatural power. With God, it is possible to do all things. God is able. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we ask or think. Whatever we think. In other words, what our mind is set on. Our mind is the gateway to our inner man. Your mind is the gateway through which your life operates. And so where your mind fixes, that's what you open your life to. What you focus on, that's where your life will go. You focus on problems, your life will open to being negative. You focus on the things that are wrong, then you'll start to find your life gravitates downwards. You get in the flesh, you become pessimistic, negative, and you don't have much to help anyone with. Bible tells us if we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, if you and I will fill our mind with this great God of possibilities, if we will fill our mind with what God says is possible, then our mind begins to open, our spirit begins to open. We open the gateway of faith and believing to see God move in a greater way than He's moved in our life before. It's what the Bible tells us. God can do exceedingly abundantly what we ask or think. So we have to exercise our mind. We have to make a decision that we will set our mind to think differently about God, to think differently about life, to think differently about ourselves. The Bible says, keep your heart with all diligence, for that is the gateway literally to your life. Your life will flow through whatever comes in your heart. So I can tell now, whatever your mind focuses on, that's what you're opening your life to. So God wants us to learn how to expand our thinking, to become bigger thinkers, to become bigger in our thinking, bigger in our thinking, bigger, bigger. Why? Because God can do much more. He's not limited by His power. He's limited by our thinking. And so one of the challenges for us is to think differently about God. I know when I was growing up and didn't know God personally, had no personal relationship with God, I had a lot of thoughts about God. Not many of them were right. But they formed a view or an image of what I thought God was like. thought God was quite remote and quite demanding and there's all these things I have to do and no matter what I did, it was never good enough. So I had a concept of God. I had an image of God. That image of God was not actually what God is really like. So if you have a concept of God that's wrong, you won't end up relating to God properly. You'll relate to the image you have of Him. 
how you see him. That's why it is so important that our mind be renewed to see God in the way he wants us to see him, the way the Bible reveals him. And so the question is, what God do you worship? Do you worship the Bible, the God the Bible reveals? Or do you worship a concept, an image of God that's formed by your tradition, your background, or your experience? If you don't allow your mind to be expanded about what God can do, or how God thinks, or how God is, you will maintain and probably drop down the experience you have already. So we want to lift our thinking. God encourages us to think differently. I want to show you another verse. Now notice here it says, under Him be glory in the church. Why? What gives God glory is when we ask more, think more, and more is done in His name. Brings honor to Him. So when a whole city is converted, great honor and glory comes to God. When a nation walks right, great honor comes to God. See? When God's people believe, honor comes to God. When you walk out into the marketplace, into your workplace, believing God can change that place, that whatever you see there, you can be a gateway for God's power and life to flow, that honors God. Are you living a life that honors God, that sees that God is a big God and can change what you see because what is unseen is able to change what is seen? We have to get in our heart a concept of how great our God is, how limitless His resources if His resources are limitless, then whatever God calls me to do, He'll provide for me. I can trust Him to be with me. Now, I want you to look with me in a verse in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So we don't want to focus on our past, although we have to resolve our past. That's not to be our focus. Neither should we live out of previous experiences with God. We need to be moving forward and focusing on what are the things God is saying now. What is God doing now? What great things is God doing in the world? Well, you don't read about them in the newspaper or on the TV, I can tell you now. I never saw in the paper about thousands of Muslims giving their life to Christ in Lahore, Pakistan. I didn't notice that in the paper. I'd say that was pretty noticeable news though, wouldn't you? So you don't see it. You've got to look. You've got to actually expose your mind to the kind of information that will expand your faith in what God can do. Most people think about Pakistan, they think terrorists, they think bombs, they think an unsafe place. But you know, I don't think that way at all. I think this harvest field where God is saving multitudes of people. I look at Asia and I see a harvest field, God is saving multitudes of people. And I look here and I see God saving multitudes of people. But we have to let our thinking go up. You think that person can't be saved? Well, I'm sure someone thought you couldn't be either. Probably. You were too hard to save. You were too wild. You were too far gone. And there you were, out there in the world. Now here you are in church. You're saved. Well, if God can do it for you, I'm sure He can do it for someone else. You just need to remember what He did. I was talking to a guy on the weekend. He was the first speaker at this Promise Keepers. It was Peter Wanger from Wellington. And uh, he was in prison. And uh, he was a drug dealer and a gang member and everything. And God sovereignly came on him in the prison. He broke and wept like a baby and met the living God. And his life was changed. Isn't that fantastic? Right in the prison. Don't you love all of that? Man, oh man. So let's have a look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And the Bible tells us, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty. Well, I would encourage you to think what liberty would look like. If you were to be totally free and to be a person, people would say, oh, they've got great liberty. What would that look like? Be good to think about that because you'd know the Spirit of God was there. 
And when we don't have liberty, there's other spirits hanging around creating all kinds of problems for us. We need to have the Spirit of God around. Liberty. Freedom. Huh? Spirit of God. Freedom. Now, here it is. We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. Now, your view of God impacts what you will become. In other words, the God you worship, whatever you worship, you become like it. You worship money, you become cold and hard. Whatever you worship, you begin to change and become like that. Whatever captures your heart begins to change your life. And so the Bible tells us here about a process of change in our life. And it says this is how it works. It's the Spirit of God that brings about the change. Notice, you're wanting to change. You won't change by focusing on how bad your life is. You won't change by looking at all the things that are wrong. You will change when you begin to see what God says about you, when you begin to see who you are in Christ. The Bible says faith grows or is communicated when we acknowledge every good thing that's now in us in Christ. In other words, God's Spirit wants to bring forth the life of Christ in us. How does it happen? Well, it says, look at, it says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, what on earth does that mean? Well, firstly, who looked in a mirror this morning? Anyone look at a mirror? One or two. Others are not giving anything away. Yeah, but I know you looked at a mirror. Your hair couldn't have got that nice without you looking in a mirror. You know, you got dressed up, and the last thing you did was look in the mirror in case there was something to squeeze, you know, or something like that, or if you got hair to comb, something to comb. But you would have looked in a mirror. And what did you see? You saw yourself. And did you like what you saw? Well, some people, we've got an interesting room in there called the mirror room. It's quite funny to see what adults do when you push them into the mirror room and there's got this big wall full of mirrors. And the majority flee the room quite quickly. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Why would they walk away from being able to see themselves? I don't like what they see. It causes things on the inside to surface. What they behold, I'm going to get out of here. Kids love it. They'll goof off and act and do stuff in front of them. That's what it's all about. See, so the Spirit of the Lord will change us. So you notice beholding the glory of the Lord. What needs to capture our vision and imagination? What needs to capture in a man to behold is to see, to see in the inner man, to begin to imagine, begin to see from revelation of the Word of God, the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God, the greatness of God, the holiness of our God, the magnificence of our God. Now notice it says, it's seeing reflected like looking in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. In other words, it's saying, as you look on what God is like, truly like, and you begin to make that the focus of your life, your life begins to change to become like that. If you focus on the holiness of God and allow yourself to worship Him, His holiness can come up in your life and His holiness manifests through you. It's real hard to try and be a holy person, you know. You haven't figured that one out. But God's never intended we try and be holy. He wants His holiness to flow like a river by the Holy Spirit through us. So that's about yielding to the Holy Spirit. So in the place of worship and intimacy with God, as I begin to see myself becoming just like Jesus, what He is like, His glory, His beautiful nature, His love, His character, courage, strength. So I begin to focus on those things about Him and yield to His Spirit. They form inside my life, and they'll form inside yours. 
So what kind of God do you see? When you look at the Lord and begin to pray or worship Him, what is it you see? The Bible says we're changed into what we see. So, so change means totally transformed, like a, you know, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. This is by the Spirit of God, you and I change if we get a right concept of God and worship who God really is. Not childish concepts of God, not traditions of what He's like. I was raised in our big pictures of Jesus. We had two pictures of Jesus. One was a little baby, helpless. The other was nailed to a cross also helpless. Doesn't actually give you the right kind of picture of a magnificent, powerful, awesome, great God with tremendous ability to change things. Yet that's the God the Bible reveals. That's the God we worship. That's the God we were lifting our hands to a little while ago, to worship a great and awesome God who created this universe, this amazing universe that we see. Our God created that. This is our God, highly creative, highly amazing God. And the Bible abounds in all kinds of stories of how amazing our God is. So what is your God like that you're worshiping? What, when you think about Him and relate to Him and worship Him, what is going through your mind? And what kind of image do you have? And what are you giving yourself to? The only way we can get a right image of what God is like is to look through the Bible and see how God has revealed Himself generation after generation, and particularly see how He revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. But oh, He's an amazing God. In Exodus chapter 12, the Bible said, He was so determined to deliver His people out of the bondage of demonic powers in the world, He slew every firstborn in Egypt to teach them their gods are weak and to get His people free. How about that? That's the God we're worshiping this morning, did that. Isn't that amazing? Scary stuff. Powerful stuff. That the mightiest nation in the world had to yield before the living God that we serve. What an amazing God. When the people of God in Exodus chapter 14 got down to the Red Sea, there it was, the sea in front of them, mountains beside them, an army behind them about to capture them. And God said, don't worry, I fight for you. Today you'll never see them again. And you look at that and say, how is it possible we could never see all of that stuff again? That bondage, that torment that we've lived in all our lives. How can we never see it again? God, you just watch me do it. And they walked through those waters. And the Bible tells us God took the, wheel, the, chariots, the wheels off the chariot. Isn't that not bad? Imagine the tanks and the tracks are falling off and the wheels are falling off the armored vehicles and the things are bogged down. You imagine a horse trying to tow a chariot that's got no wheels because God sent his angel and pulled the wheels off like that. The Bible says that. It says explicitly that he pulled the wheels off and they found it very hard to pursue. <laughs> that's not bad, is it? I think God must have a great sense of humor. I'll just slam down and pull the wheels off. And then when the when, when I've got all my people through, then we'll close the water. And they never saw them again. The water closed. That was it. A whole, a whole army gone in a moment. That's our God. What an amazing God we serve. Have a, have a look at him in Exodus chapter 19 when he says, I'll come down. I want to meet with you guys. And so they met with God. Well, I don't know what you think a meeting with God is like. You know, it can be as little or as great 
as we're expecting for and believing for. As for what I think, I think we don't see enough of Him. We need more of Him and we need a greater demonstration of His presence and power. We need much more of Him. But He can be really scary when you see Him like He is. That's why people only like measured doses of God. You know, I'll have just enough to kind of make me feel better, and that's it. You know, but God is amazing. Look at this in Exodus chapter 19. And he said on the verse 6, and came to pass on the third day in the morning, there was thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very, very loud. Notice that? Very loud. When well, you think about a mountain and think about three million people, and then think about what loudness a trumpet's got to have to be called very loud by three million people. That's got to be really loud. And it says, and, and it says there, and it said, all the people in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. Smoking. Because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And in smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked. Well, there's no well, there's no water there. There'd have been a tsunami with all of that. Then the blast of the trumpet got louder and louder and louder. They were terrified. This was God coming down, revealing Himself, a little bit of Himself. Whoa, that's not bad. That's the God we're worshiping this morning. That's an amazing God. You know, I was, I've got a CD at home, and on the CD it, it's got one track there called Angels, and it was recorded in England, and they were having a meeting, about 50 people, and plunking away on a guitar and a keyboard, and the lady's worshiping. She got the microphone right up here at her mouth like this, like Anna had this morning. They're talking on the microphone like this, and they're praying, and they're praying. Suddenly there's a breakthrough, and then music comes from heaven. Like you've never heard. I've listened to it. I've never heard anything like it. And I can't even describe it. You just have to hear it to hear it. And the sound came, and it came so loud that you could no longer hear the voice of the girl with the microphone. Now, that's got to be mighty loud. That has got to be mighty. You can just hear this faint voice. And so what happened in this wonderful meeting where they were worshiping, and a noise came out of heaven and began to fill the whole place, a loud noise. And there's, what did they do? Well, you hear it on the CD. They screamed. <laughs> they screamed, fell on their faces, and a lot of them ran out of the building. Isn't that extraordinary that people would come to worship God, but God as we're used to Him, not how He really is. We have just the version that we can take that's respectable, but when He just turns up the volume of heaven and we begin to hear it a bit, everyone freaks. They ran out the door. They ran out screaming. Why? Because the presence of God was so intense that people who had anything wrong in their heart, just fled. Or they fell on their face and put it right. Oh, for the fear of God. Oh, for the greatness of our God to manifest. Imagine what it would be like to have God coming, tremendous noise or tremendous manifestation. Imagine what that would be like, hey? I just hope to God that I would be on my face there and crying out for Him and not running down the road. <laughs> Who's the pastor? He's run away from God. It's not, not good, is it, eh? <laughs> That's not too good, is it, eh? So, so, mighty smoke and fire. And the people all said, I think you can go and talk to God. 
He's too scary for us. People are still saying that. You get me a word from God and come and prophesy over me, but I don't want to go near God. See, God wants us to come near Him. Wants us to come to intimacy, get to know Him like He is, not just according to an old image that we have. In Joshua chapter 10, verses 8 through to 14, the Bible tells us that Joshua had a battle with his enemies. And as Joshua pursued the enemies, God joined in. And it says, on that day, the Lord fought for Israel, and God threw hailstones down from heaven, mighty rocks, and they killed more people than Joshua and his army killed. It's God fighting for his people. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Another story of Hezekiah, and he's surrounded by an army, and they pray and they cry out to God. It looks like it's curtains for them. And then this mighty God sent one angel. And 185,000 people died, and the battle was over, and the king went back and, and was killed by his own family. Hey, what a great God that we serve. And you know, in the New Testament, God is also revealed in other ways. Jesus came, the Bible says, Hebrews 1, express image of the living God, manifesting what God is like. And so Jesus demonstrated other aspects of what God is like. We see him touch a leper, and the leper is immediately healed and cleansed and restored. We see how he spoke to the winds and the waves and showed his dominion over creation. That is scary. You know, when Jesus walked across the water, the disciples screamed in fear. You see, God is supernatural. And, and we tend to want Him in just measured doses. Rather than, God, I want to go near to you and find you and discover more about you. Like Paul, I want to know you. The power of your resurrection. See? That's the desire and hunger God wants to birth in our hearts. This is the same God showed His mighty power. 5,000 people came for lunch and Jesus fed them all with just two loaves and five fishes. That's just mighty God. There's Lazarus, he's in the ground and he stinks. He's four days in the tomb and his body's breaking down and rotting. And Jesus speaks a word and this power of this mighty God is released. Lazarus rise up from the dead. That's the God we serve. I mean, if he can raise a stinking dead corpse, your problems, I'm sure, would be quite easy to solve. But you see, what happens is we look at our problems and we shrink God. And so problems get very big and the devil gets very big and God gets very small. And so our image of God is wrong. And if our image of God is wrong, we're not connecting to Him as He is. We start connecting to what He's not, our image of Him. Isn't that an incredible thing? Now, you follow, follow through the New Testament. It tells us 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses says, Jesus died and then He rose mightily from the grave. What a wonderful God. That's our mighty God. Then at Pentecost, the power of God came on men. They, the fire of God was seen on people. The winds of God were heard. I've been in a place where the wind of God was heard. I heard it myself. Didn't recognize what it was first. Then it freaked all the natives out. Just this wind going around, a whirlwind going around. They all freaked. And what, what were they freaking about? Because it was supernatural. It was something out of control of ordinary human beings. Well, one of the problems of the fall is we want to be in control of everything. 
We want to run our lives and run everything rather than learning how to lean on the power of an almighty God. And so we find God pouring out His Spirit and ordinary men turned the world upside down, did miracles in Jesus' name. This is the God we serve. It's the God we're worshiping this morning. You see, one of the difficulties we have is we need to allow our mind to be reformed so we begin to think God greater and begin to increase our view of what He's like and what He can do, begin to relate more closely to Him like that. Why? Because otherwise we have very big problems. Well, miracles happen in Asia, but they don't happen here. Oh, that's not true. They do happen here. God is the same God. He is no different anywhere. All that He needs is someone who will dare believe. And so it has to do much with the thinking, the way we think about God, our perspective, our view of Him. So we need a biblical view and not just some kind of image of God that's not like He is. I want to show you a couple of verses that God really put on my heart today. Then we'll finish up. In, first of all, in Psalm 78. In Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, this is what the Bible says. In Psalm 78, a whole number of things, but I want to pick a couple of things. Verse 41 and verse 42. And it said, they grieved God, and they grieved again and again. They tempted God. Now notice this. It said, they limited God. Well, that's an amazing statement. They limited God. In other words, they marked out this is about how much we can have, and that was it. They settled for little, or they put limits on what could do. How did they do that? And the Bible explains us, they forgot His power. They forgot His power. They forgot His mighty works. They forgot when they were in Egypt and it was impossible, God got them out. They forgot when they were being chased by an army and it was impossible, God got them out. They forgot when there was no food, God fixed that one too. They forgot when there was no water, God fixed that one too. They kept forgetting the power of God. They forgot the mighty presence and power of God. Listen, if we forget God's power, if we forget His presence, if we forget what He has done, what He's done in the Bible, what He's done for other people, we will limit God. I don't want to limit God. I don't want us as a church to limit what God can do. I want us to expand in our believing what God could do in our city and particularly in our region and what He could do through you. But to do that, we have to let go of wrong concepts. There's two scriptures I want to show you now that are really interesting. And the Lord dropped them into my heart. I'll only just bring them to your attention. You ever think about them yourself. In Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32 is the first one. Now, do we worship the God of the Bible, an almighty God who delivers people, who can cause the ground to shake and open up and sinners fall in, a God who comes down in fire, a God who speaks gently, a God who does mighty miracles? Is that our God, or do we have something that is actually easier to handle? And so notice here in Exodus chapter 32, the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. So they said, come and make us a God that will go before us. As for Moses, this man who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So he said, break the golden earrings off your ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. So the people broke the golden earrings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand and he fashioned an engraving, made it, fashioned it with an engraving tool, made a golden calf. And then he said, this is your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. He made a proclamation, this is a feast to the Lord. And so they rose and offered burnt offerings and beast offerings. People sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What just happened then? 
This is what happened. The Bible tells it in a number of different places. They did not want to be led by the Holy Ghost. They did not want to live conscious of the invisible spirit world, living by faith in an invisible God. They wanted something they could see, something they could manage, something that fitted within what they could control. They replaced an invisible, powerful, awesome God with something more manageable. Now, did they go after the gods of Egypt? No, they did not. The Bible said they made a feast to the Lord. They were fully convinced as they worshipped this calf and offered peace offerings and burnt offerings, they were worshipping God. But they weren't worshipping God. They were worshipping an image they had made of God different to what the Bible reveals them to be. They had forgotten the works of God, so they made something different. All over the world, churches have done that. The God of power and might, too scary. We'll have something more manageable. Think about that. Just think about that, of changing the true God and making an image and then worshiping the image. And the Bible says they change their glory. You see, what you behold, when you behold a majestic, mighty, glorious, a powerful, wonderful, loving God, when you begin to see Him like He is and worship Him like He is, you become like that. But when you change and have a small image, you know, it changes your life. Think about that. You know, many people have a very small concept of what God is like. They have an image that's not really what God is like. It's different to what He really is like. Let me read the second one, and this is even more alarming. The second one is found in 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. Look at this one. And this is a king, and this is what the king does. It says in verse, this is Jeroboam, 1 Kings 12, verse, uh, we'll go verse 26. Now Jeroboam said in his heart, the kingdom may return to the house of David. He didn't trust the Lord to to do what he said he was going to do. If the people go and offer sacrifice to the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, the heart of the people will turn back to their God. And Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam. So therefore the king sought advice, and this is what he did. He made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, it's too much for you to go to Jerusalem. Here is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. He set one up in Bethel, the other up in Dan, and this became a sin for the people went to worship before this one as far as Dan. And then he made shrines on the high places. What did he actually do? This is what he said. And he was trying to bring control around what God had ordained. And this is what he did. He said, it's too much. It's inconvenient to travel to Jerusalem. It's inconvenient to go all that way over there. We could set something up that would be more convenient for you. So we will make now an image, and God expressly forbade them to make an image of him. He wanted to be worshipped as the immortal, invisible, eternal God. And so they changed the image of God and made something that's manageable, visible, that could be seen. Then the next thing he did, he said, well, you don't need to go to the house of God. Actually, you can do it here. So God had said no images. He set up an image. God had said, go to the house of God in Jerusalem. He said, you don't need to do that. You can worship God in this place or any place. It doesn't really matter. What he did was he changed. So it would be convenient. To be convenient means it's more comfortable for you. It means your life is made more easy. 
you serve a God of convenience, an add-on God, by that I mean, well, I'll have a little bit of God and He'll make my life successful, my marriage successful, and my finances successful, and He'll make my things go well for me, and I'll have a great life because I've added God into my life. That is not the deal. That's a God of convenience, and God will never be a God of convenience. Never. Never. That's not the deal. This God we serve is an almighty God who came out of heaven into the earth, gave His only Son to die on the cross. He calls for something more than just a religion of convenience. He calls for wholehearted commitment. David said, I'll not offer God something that costs me nothing. God answered him with fire from heaven. See, so he had the right spirit. He wasn't going to have a convenience. He wanted a God. He wanted to serve God passionately with all his heart. And so God doesn't want us to have a religion that's a convenient religion. Convenient religion, you don't need repentance anymore. You don't need fasting anymore. You don't need prayer anymore. You don't need these things anymore. You know, there's parts of the church in the world that are preaching that. A convenient God. But that's not what our God is like. He's a God who calls for wholehearted commitment to love Him, to worship Him as He is and how He's revealed Himself in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. This God we serve is an almighty God who deserves our wholehearted commitment. As we come right now, well, some of you will have to be thinking then about we're going to do a season in the church of prayer and fasting. What is that about? That's about positioning ourselves so as we have a guest speaker come at the end of the month, we expect God to touch many lives. We expect there to be an impartation to hundreds and hundreds of people. But you have to position yourself for that. Now, this is not something convenient. This is something that costs us, costs us to do it. But so we position ourselves to receive. Joe and I are going to be fasting three weeks. I want to position myself for new things in God. No matter what stage you are, it's never too late to say, I want more of God. I don't have enough. I want to know Him as He is. I want to experience Him more deeply. Sometimes you might find in prayer, as you encounter Him, you fall and you are on your face before Him because He's showing Himself in His holiness, and you see what you're like. Or you may find Him touch you with His wonderful love and such a revelation you weep. Whatever it is, He's worthy of our very best. Can we just stand, lift our hands to Him? Just lift our hands to this almighty God that we serve and love. And today, perhaps, you've allowed God, perhaps your image of God has been wrong. Why don't you make a decision? I'm going to repent. What do I need to do? I need to look into the Word of God and see what God is like. I need to look at the works God did in the Bible and know that's my God. I need to look at what He's done in my life and remember it and know that's my God. I need to remember that the God I serve birthed His church with almighty power and that's the God and that's how He's going to finish it. I need to know that that's my God, and that's the God I worship. And if someone offers me something that's convenient, I'll say no to that thing of convenience. If someone tries to tempt me to take a low path, I'll say, that's not for me. I'm taking the high path, the highway of holiness, walking with God. I'll keep my life because I believe God will show His power through me to a generation to come, and I want to be walking with Him when that happens. 
I believe we're in a new season as a church, a new season of God moving. This is a time to come to discover Him as He is and let His mighty power touch us.